0: This week, it's a conversation with Anne Hepperman, the radio documentarian, artist, teacher, and founder of the Sarah Awards, and the host of the audio fiction show Serendipity. This is going to be good. This is Radio Drama Revival. What it is, my friends. Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. If Radio Drama Revival is like your weird older brother that lives in the basement and occasionally runs upstairs hollering about a record that will change your life, uh, then Anne Happerman's serendipity is like your unassailably cool older sister that went to art school, smokes cigarettes that burn the color of the sky, and comes home late from film screenings that sound like dreams. It's a clearinghouse for some of the best audio art fiction being made today. I recommend both of our podcasts, naturally. They're, they're accomplishing different but congruent things. Anne teaches audio fiction at Sarah Lawrence College, and she's also the woman behind the Sarah Lawrence College International Audio Fiction Award, or the Sarahs. Now, I don't have a feature for you this week, but I do have a wonderful interview I did with Anne a month or two ago. Have a listen. Anne Hepperman, welcome to Radio Drama Revival.
1: Thank you. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> it, is,
0: it is a pleasure and a delight.
1: Yeah, this is fun.
0: So to start with, I wanted to talk to you about the origin of the Sarah Awards. In order to do that, I wanted to talk about like how long, first of all, how long have you been teaching audio fiction at Sarah Lawrence?
1: It's funny. I think I proposed my first class for audio fiction, I think it was 2012, 2012 or 2011.
0: How did those classes end up turning into the Sarahs?
1: Well, I mean, the first class happened because at at Sarah Lawrence, like, it's very experimental. And so I was teaching just a really generic overview class of uh, what was called back then writing for radio. Okay, And I, I would allow my students to do fiction or nonfiction. And the works that the students did that were fiction, they were just so like fresh and exciting and like nothing I'd ever heard before. Mm -hmm. And that just got me thinking like, it was such a shame. There was no place at the time for them to go. This was back in like 2010, 2011. And so I had this idea of um, creating like a home for audio that didn't have a home. And for me, the model for that was the third coast international audio festival and so I had this like idea like you know if we'll create an award it would it would live on a website um we wouldn't have a ceremony and we would just create a place uh, a kind of a goal you know for people and like incentivize them to want to experiment with fiction and reward the best work from around the world. And so I went with that idea to the people at Sarah Lawrence and they were excited about it. And they said, go forth, you know, we'll we'll raise the money. And then I kind of put it on the back of my head. And then like a year later, they said, you know, we raise the money. I was like, oh, okay. But like in the meantime, Welcome to Night Vale happened. Mm-hmm. And so that I think proved to people here in the United States who'd been hesitant about radio drama, that there was an audience for it. And then after that, you know, we were kind of building up the website and doing different things. And then Serial happened. And so you had these two big events in the radio audio world that I think really helped to kind of push the genre and the medium forward. And so when we finally launched, um, we launched, like, with a podcast. We, we kind of launched, like, much bigger than we had originally thought that we were going to launch. You know, we decided that there would be a ceremony. Actually, I don't know why I'm saying we. It's me. Like,
0: I <laughs> I appreciate your modesty.
1: Like, I have a staff of 50 people. I mean, have I, I get a lot of help from... Uh, the wonderful people at at Sarah Lawrence, but, you know, a lot of the stuff has been a, a party of one kind of ramrodding all of this through an unsuspecting <laughs> academic institution. <laughs> so it was just decided that, you know, we would have a, a ceremony. And in the meantime, I met Martin Johnson from Sweden and decided that, you know, we wanted to do a podcast together. And then also... Now we have these essays that we're doing, so it's kind of like we we launched in a space that was very ripe, and then now it is just continuing to boom, 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 boom. You know it's like we're the gold rush or something like that of uh, of radio drama.
0: <laughs> I read recently that the welcome to Nightville folks are going to be hosting the twenty seventeen yeah. Sarah's.
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, feel extremely honored that they said yes to the small amount of money that we're able to pay them, you know, for for hosting the Sarah Awards. But I think it has to do with the fact that, like, we really want to celebrate everything that's happening now. You know, for me, it's just all about this idea of being as inclusive as possible, while at the same time, really trying to invite so many more people and so many more styles to the table, because I really think we're at this time. I don't know about you, where? Oh no, absolutely! It's like it's like we're we're at this artistic time, almost kind of like when uh, television or film was invented, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, there have been people, you know, podcasting has been around for, you know, what, 10, 11 years. But I, I think we're kind of at this real moment um, where we can really, like, experiment and create and just try and just put as much work out there as, as possible. And there's funds out there for it. That's exciting.
0: <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs>
1: there are jobs. What?
0: I, I, I refer to this, like, every time Fred and I talk about it, every time Fred, the producer of the show, the former host yeah. of the show, and I talk about what's going on in, in fiction podcasting right now, I always call it a Cambrian explosion. Mm, like, there's just there's just such a, a potential explosion of diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm really grateful for the existence of awards like the Sarahs, mm-hmm. because I think that they surface styles and work of people that otherwise wouldn't surface through traditional channels
1: i hope so you know that's also why we did the very very short short stories contest because for me uh and this is all like beg borrowing and stealing you know from third coast and uh who i would say is like our spirit sister in terms of how i conceived of of all of this is that for me, their short docs competition was very instrumental in, in my career and thinking about my work. I was actually one of the – I was one of the first short doc winners when they did it, launched the, that in 2003. And so I always kind of look back to that contest as a event that really helped shape my life and my career. And so I kind of wanted to create those opportunities. And I don't know. Do you, do you teach – are you a teacher as well? So, I mean,
0: yes. Uh, I So I work for an educational nonprofit called Khan Academy.
1: Mm, okay. So you know that as a teacher, it's like you want to have, like, these nice assignments, right, that have real-world applications. So for me, the very, very short, short stories contest is also, um, I hope, you know, just something that provides teachers with, like, an assignment that can have real-world applications to it. Yeah. So... So, yeah, so I, I hope that we can kind of be all of those things, you know, both um, inspiring people and celebrating the works and getting people to think about radio drama and audio fiction critically, like the artistic form that it is.
0: I'm curious about why... The podcast for the Sarahs is called Serendipity, mm. and I'd like you to tell me the story of how you and Martin Johnson met. Was your initial encounter with Martin serendipitous some way, or how did you first encounter him?
1: Kind of. I mean, we met at the Hearsay International Audio Festival in uh, in Kilfinnan. Oh, okay. In Ireland in 20, 2015, okay. and uh, Martin, besides being an audio producer, is also a teacher, and so when we met uh, we talked about it and had similar ideas about radio drama and what we hoped for radio drama in the 21st century and um, I always had admired his work his documentary work and uh, I think he'd admired mine but um, we just really seemed to click you know creatively and then he came over to he came over to um, New York to kind of meet with the staff at Sarah Lawrence and talked to some of my students. And I think it was then that we decided, well, let's really kind of go forward with this podcast. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when we decided on the name serendipity, just like sitting on the couch. I don't think there was any kind of grand thing that happened in terms of that. And then we're like, Oh, Sarah, serendipity. Sure. Ha, ha ha That was my follow
0: up. <laughs> For people that are unfamiliar with the show, there's mm-hmm. kind of this dreamy frame around it mm-hmm. that has f- fictionalized versions of Martin and Anne as, yeah. as characters. Can, can you tell me about that frame and about that fictionalized version of you and Martin?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we we started off thinking about what would it mean to kind of create a podcast where we also were fictional characters in the podcast and you know part of what podcasting allowed us to do is that you know we didn't really we didn't have anybody who we were answering to so we said oh what if we tried this thing where it's like we were making like a podcast that had stories that were like Russian nesting dolls you know where you kind of didn't know where one began and they kind of lived within each other and so we thought we would experiment with that. And so we uh, – at first we had created these characters. I think it was like Vanessa and something. I don't know. But we went on these walks that I call like the, um, the Richard Linklater film Before Sunrise where we went on these walks and like had these very deep discussions, you know, and talked about life and love and all this kind of stuff. And then um, with the pieces that we featured, we always tried to have some kind of character in the second story enter the first story. And, uh, I mean, part of it was that we were just kind of bored with being, like, hosts, regular hosts. Sure. And so we you wanted to wanted... play – we wanted to have fun, you know? Like, we just – yeah, we wanted to have fun, too.
0: That's really cool.
1: Yeah. But after a while, <laughs> it was, like, a lot of work. And I think – I don't know. I think we do need to have a little bit more frame. So we've, we uh, kind of abandoned that ghost – we still kind of keep ourselves stylistically, and there are kind of moments where maybe we'll refer to um, having a relationship or or something, you know, um, that might keep people guessing. We actually had an episode where we kind of like buried our our lover selves and just stuck with the stuck with the friendship selves, where we actually were in the woods somewhere and like dug a hole and <laughs> pretended like we were burying a time capsule of our relationship so yeah i remember that
0: one what other formal conventions are you bored of in audio storytelling what else do you want to experiment with and play with
1: you know it's funny it's like because once you start making the things you realize like how some of the frames and the cliches kind of work and like why you're doing them you know sure like oh like how
0: load-bearing they're they're like
1: oh there's reason that i need to Should say the name of the piece that I'm going to be introducing, you know, because people like that Mm -hmm. Uh, and not just at the end. Um, It's hard to say. I mean, in, in nonfiction stuff, you know, there's kind of a lot of very, very heavily like story driven shows that as much as I love story and story driven shows, like I almost get like sick of story. And sometimes I just want like a good magazine. Style format, like, just give me some hard news and give me, like, a nice all-things-considered package, you know?
0: Something that's less experimental, just kind of straightforward. Yeah, just give me
1: some straightforward news, you know? Just give me somebody reading the paper. Sure. But I still love it, and I still enjoy it. I think – and then with fiction – You know, we're kind of already seeing this thing. I mean, there's really, really, really great works out there, but we're already starting to see how these kind of large commercial endeavors are kind of sticking with this, like, well, everything is like crime series, actually. That's like nonfiction and fiction, right? It's like everything has to be wrapped up in a murder. Yeah.
0: It's just, I I didn't know we liked this stuff so much. (laughs) Right?
1: (laughs) And I'm a huge Agatha the Christie fan. Yeah, who knew that all we liked were crime and crime shows. But, you know, that said, there's been a lot of great ones out there. But for me, I'm just hoping that people feel that they can make amazing and successful works outside of that genre as well.
0: I think, I think. and this is this is an opinion sort of based in ignorance and a little bit in, like, what limited experience I have with the film industry mm-hmm. that it seems like commissioning bodies are really skittish about deviating from anything that's been previously successful. Yeah. And so the only things that have seemed to be successful so far have been serial and night fail. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of let's do, you know, investigative journalist, like single voice fiction. Right. Or let's do nonfiction about, you know, true crime.
1: Yeah, and... You know, it's funny. It's it's like we're kind of in this real boom period right now, but I also worry just how people feel who are in charge of the purse strings that the market is um, really what shapes their creative decisions mm-hmm. but i mean you know it's funny like with some of the night veil vale stuff you know what is the one called the the orbiting circus of the air i'm like this is amazing it feels surrealist you know there's something about it that feels so off and funny and like i don't know where i am and i love what they're doing and exploring with that I love like stuff that's been behind Howell's Paywall, you know, like Fruit Issa Rae's Fruit.
0: Have you heard Fruit? I was going to ask because I haven't. I'm not behind that paywall. Oh
1: yeah,
0: uh, but I, I heard the first part.
1: Mm-hmm. Fruit, I think, is like the only serialized audio fiction that I've ever heard that is you know written by people of color, written by people who are queer, and have that storyline. And also has like sports in it as well, you know, right but I'm just in awe and excited of all the work that's happening right now
0: yeah i'm I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing for me though, is I really do want to hear um more queer voices and voices of color, and you know, so that it's like really
0: uh, I don't know, just so that we're hearing more different kinds of stories. Then stay tuned to this podcast because that is <laughs> part of my charter: is to yeah. surface and <laughs> signal boost um, voices that are not otherwise represented in this burgeoning field.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I have a couple of students in my class. Like one student is this young woman of color, and she's making a piece. You know, that's kind of like uh, I don't know if you remember the '90s sitcom A Different World. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she wanted to make her version of like a different world for audio. You know, and that's the kind of stuff that I like wanna hear. You know, as 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 well, I guess. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping, you know, through the contest and through hopefully other initiatives, if I can raise a million dollars, if I can raise somebody on this, somebody give me a million (laughs) dollars, I will change, change things. Yes, awesome. I'll give you some of it too. So,
0: so I want to ask you about your syllabus for the class that you're currently teaching. Yeah. Because I don't know a ton about the literary figures of the American audio fiction scene. I kind of came at this sideways from an amateur standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know much of anything about Miranda July or Mm. Joe Frank or Gregory Whitehead. Yeah. What can you tell me about those figures and how how they play into your curriculum?
1: Oh, gosh. I remember driving in the desert sometime in like the late 90s and hearing a joe frank piece which i think is probably the perfect way to be introduced to joe frank (laughs) where it just felt like you had no idea what was going on you felt like you were on another planet but you were still within like the world of reality and like joe was just kind of carrying you through this and You know, so I followed his work and, you know, we we, I introduce Joe Frank um, into my class very early on in the semester. So we can talk about how, you know, he'll deal with like really big ideas of like, you know, fascism and capitalism and poverty and things like that through things that seem absurdist. Or, you know, things that sound like improvised conversations but really aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I think it's important to kind of, you know, hopefully, like, continue on, like, Joe Frank's work. He's still making some work, I think, um, very sporadically out of KCRW because I know his health isn't that great. Um, And with Miranda July, like, those works, like, those are originally, like, written pieces but were adapted for this um, show – that was influential to me back in the early aughts called The Next Big Thing out of WNYC. And they were really, um, you know, trying to push this idea of art on the radio, you know, so they would adapt some of Miranda July's works. And there's there's a really great interview between... um, Jennifer Brandell of Harkin and Miranda July, where Miranda July talks about how before she was making films, she was originally thinking about, like, making radio plays. Interesting. Yeah, and how radio plays kind of fed into her creative process and her, like, artistic vision. And then with Gregory Whitehead, I mean, he's been doing all kinds of radio drama-esque, fictional, artistic pieces for years. And I think... From what I understand, I don't know if I have my history exactly right. But I think, you know, he was actually like an employee at NPR for a while. And I think it's like the same thing with Joe Frank. You know, I mean, NPR used to be this really weird, crazy experimental place back in like the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah.
0: This is the period of NPR Playhouse, right? I
1: think so, yeah. So it was like Joe Frank was an actual employee there like in D.C. and Gregory Whitehead and I think Scott Carrier maybe like spent a couple of weeks in the halls there, you know, before it became, you know, the kind of the national treasure of news and and, uh, uh, that we think of it today. But that's where I feel like where we are now in podcasting, you know, like we can be our freaky – And experimental selves.
0: I'm curious to hear what you think fiction audio can do that nonfiction cannot do.
1: Well, I think great audio fiction can do what great literature does, which can reveal ideas about ourselves and humanity in a much deeper way that sometimes listening to a truthful story does not. I mean, I guess you could say that really amazing documentary can do that, but still you're kind of watching a story that doesn't necessarily reflect back on yourself. Whereas I feel like part of the point of fiction is that it's supposed to reveal something about ourselves. And so I'm hoping that, you know, while at the same time people can create and find works that they find entertaining, that there's space um for beauty and enlightenment where we can create pieces that that feel and I think Joe Frank's works have, have kind of done that, you know, to some degree, that that challenge us intellectually and um reveal something about human nature that we didn't necessarily... that we knew, but, you know, is revealed to us through the work. And I think some of Miranda July's work have done that as well, you know.
0: I was going to ask you how the work of documentary has influenced your approach to both making and teaching audio Mm, fiction.
1: That's a really good question. So for me, I mean, just kind of how I go about recording, I think affected the way that I did my own, you know, little audio fiction pieces with Martin. So, you know, when, uh, when we went out on our, as I call them, our Richard Linklater before sunrise talks, um, It was very much in the style as if I were going to be, you know, recording and producing a a documentary, you know, like where I was making myself and him and getting all the ambient sound. And then we would interview people along the way. Like I found this guy who owned the carpet store in my neighborhood um, at the time. And, you know, so he became a character who I wanted to interview, who I would like want to interview for an oral history of the neighborhood, you know. And so for me, it's just about, you know, using the skills that I kind of honed over. Oh, God, the past, you know, 15 plus years, which, you know, the idea is that you're really trying to capture the space and the world around you, which I think helps to uh, create a much more vivid uh, world for people. When they're listening to fiction, because as I like to say, I feel like people's ears have evolved, which is why um, what Jonathan Mitchell does is so compelling because he's used his documentary skills and getting actors in the scene rather than kind of relying on studio and sound effects, Um, because that's just not what people are used to listening to anymore. You know, I mean, in the days of the studio days and the radio drama, like you didn't really have Small recorders that people could go out in the world. Everything, even the news, was happening in the studio. So those worlds were believable then, but they're not as believable
0: now. I, I've been having a number of conversations in the past couple of months with you, with Jonathan Mitchell, with John Dryden, and it's really sold me on the idea of on location production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's such a compelling idea. It's so much cheaper than renting studio time. Oh, yeah. You know, because I I got my start on a college campus with a college radio station Mm -hmm. with basically unlimited access to the studio. Right. But in most adult grown-up situations, you're not going to have that access unless you're recording in your closet.
1: Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing to me, though, is like uh, I'll never forget when I had the guys um, from Welcome to Night Vale come to my class. This was – right when they kinda of hit it big and I remember them telling the classes like you really don't need much to make, you know, a good radio fiction podcast. Like we just use this, you know, like little recorder slash podcasting thing and then we do it and then we put it out there. And I was like, Oh my God <laughs> Like What are you telling my students? You know, uh, but they're but they're right too. You know, I mean, they're just really fantastic storytellers, and then they have this, you know, amazing voice actor who really helps you get into that world. And and it's the same thing with another podcast that I really like called Getting On with James Urbaniak. Mm -hmm. You know, really, I would say the two things that matter most are the story and how well it's presented uh
0: and you have a master's degree in anthropology from northern arizona yep. university i do <laughs> yeah i do you sure do how has that scholarship filtered through to your work if at all
1: i would say in my nonfiction work it used to uh kind of carry over in just that I believed in the anthropological idea of reciprocity so I very much felt like I needed to kind of honor the people who I was working with in terms of telling their stories and and, you know, created relationships with people that would probably, you know, break some kind of journalism ethics, you know, to some degree. But, you know, the stories that I was, was working on were more kind of documentary style and less um, hard news style. I mean, I was always intrigued by stories. And so I feel like my interest in cultural anthropology and oral history and, you know, then somehow, you know, kind of landing in radio mixed well together. And I'm not sure actually if it affects my fiction in any way other than the fact that um i'm very very interested and you know part of the reason that i started the award is that i i really wanted to think about how people told stories in all cultures Mm -hmm. and so i'm always on the lookout you know for Pieces not in English from different cultures, and hoping that we can build relationships with them. And there's a very, like, kind of robust history of um, using radio dramas for different public service announcements, you know, in different countries as well. So for me, I like listening to and thinking about how people tell stories in other cultures you know, magical realism was very much a South American literary movement. And so I'm kind of interested in hearing how something like that, you know, carries over in the audio world. Like for me, the big thing, and maybe this is where you tapped into like my anthropological background is I do not want one American and one way of storytelling to really, to dominate and so I try and seek out ways to, um, I don't want to say eliminate that, but at least make sure that I'm eliminating some of the biases, you know, through the
0: podcast and that, you know, we're featuring works from people from around the world. How do you like to interact with tape? When you're, when you're reporting a story or when you're working with tape in a fiction piece, mm-hmm. how do you work with the texture of tape and how do you thread yourself through the narrative as a presence if necessary
1: i mean i always think of sound as like um different paint colors and also just like you know watercolor versus oil painting you know as different textures so for me i like things that sometimes sound like crap quality versus something that sounds very close quality and i think about you know what kind of sound is going to dominate and whether there's a particular sound that will act as like a leitmotif, you know, be symbolic for either a character or a part of the story. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think about a lot when it comes to scoring, you know, that there's particular mood and a tone, um, both in the fiction and the nonfiction pieces that I'm doing that will kind of either continue or reverberate, you know, within the story. Yeah, I think a lot about the pieces like musically, and I think that's why Martin and I get along well so creatively and are able to pass things back and forth. It's just because we think about the stories in that way, where it's both a a mixture of narrative and impressionistic moments. We're kind of not afraid to unravel some of the sounds a little bit, and use words that are just kind of meant to convey a mood rather than meaning interesting Does that makes sense
0: yeah no that's really cool that kind of plays into my next question mm-hmm. um, which is how do you turn an interview into art
1: well it depends you know if you're doing a two-way like with an artist you know that you just really want to convey the information then I say like you know don't put all the bells and whistles on it you know I kind of like things that are a bit stripped down these days
0: sure and, and to be clear I I I don't intend, I certainly don't intend to do this to our conversation.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's it's like trying to figure out what it is, you know, that your piece overall is trying to do. You know, Sherry Delis from Australia does this still what I think is one of the most amazing mini-documentary pieces that I've ever heard called If, which is uh, an interview or a portrait of a young boy that unravels and you kind of learn, I'm not going to say what it's about, but you know, it It unravels and you kind of think that it's one thing, the story is one thing and it's really like another. And um, you just hear how everything that she does is purposeful, you know, as well as playful. And so I think that to me is the fundamental lesson in all of this is that I think that people should learn how to have fun and play and try and find that within themselves to, to, to want to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and to want to make something that feels like it's something that they haven't heard before. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you just want to listen to somebody talk, right? <laughs> you should just let them talk.
0: So to to pull us out, what has been inspiring you lately?
1: Well, I think uh, in terms of fiction and nonfiction, a few things. Andrea Salenzi's YOY and I think some of the work that she's doing where sometimes you don't know what's fiction and nonfiction has really inspired me. And I just really like what she's doing and playing there. Um, There's a lot from the European on the other side of the pond that I've been finding really inspiring. This woman, um, Katerina Smets, did a fantastic piece um, for Falling Tree Productions that to me feels very musical as well as you know being a documentary story. Okay, uh, Rika Huda, who did a piece that we featured on Serendipity. I think her work is really kind of lovely and and light and beautiful while being meditative. Um, yeah, and then you know I really like fruit. And the stories that Issa Rae and her team are telling. And I'm re listening now that Pauline Olivero's passed away. I'm re listening to her music and thinking about that a lot.
0: I'm silent because I'm writing down all of this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And some of the work that uh, Nina Perry has done. Oh, and, you know, a lot of the work like, uh, that the Australians have done and just, you know, the unfortunate cuts that have happened in the creative unit um, in Australia. But they have a lot of really brilliant people there like Sherry Delise and Natalie Stetcher and Leah Redfern and Belle Collins. And so I'm hoping that that creativity continues in some way, shape, or form.
0: And Redfern and Collins were the people behind the winning entry in last year's Sarah Awards. Yeah. And thank you so much for all of these suggestions and all of this homework.
1: Okay. I'm so excited <laughs> to
0: dive into this. Well, um, I'll expect
1: an essay next week.
0: All right. <laughs> Can do. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, this was fun.
0: I really appreciate it. You are welcome back anytime.
1: Oh, great. All right. I'll see you next week then.
0: Okay. Fabulous. <laughs>
1: All right, take care.
0: Cheers. You know your marching orders, kids. Subscribe to the Serendipity podcast to hear all sorts of wonderful artistic and experimental audio fiction. Read, listen, especially to people who have different lives from you. And stay tuned, because the Sarahs are coming up sooner than you think. This year, they're happening on March 28th. If you're in New York, they'll be at WNYC's The Green Space, and you can find out more about that by going to theSarahAwards.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Drama Revival. Y'all are the best, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Anne as much as I did. If you ever want to chat, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at radiodrama. And send in your shows! Sometimes it takes me a few months to chew through the backlog, but I, I do listen to everything, and submissions do make it to air. Check it out on our website, radiodramarevival.com. That just about does it for us today, but come on back next week as Fred puts out another From the Vault episode. We continue our dive into ZBS's Secret of the Crystal Maidens, which, if that doesn't sound like an early 80s D&D module to you, I'm not sure if we can be friends. I'm kidding. Please be my friend. Hey, it's time for credits. Holy crow, how'd that happen? Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo do by DJ Stranger Danger, a house producer in Oakland, California. Follow him on SoundCloud. Our line producers are Eli McElveen and Matt Boudreaux. Matt and I buried our fictitious couple selves on a Linklater walk in 2014, but please do not stop shipping us. Eli has won awards for his photographs of leaves which is both sadly untrue and the most Canadian thing I have said this week. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau, who have not yet returned from their screaming rattle-trap adventure through the high desert. Usually they come back with dinosaur bones and chunks of UFO, but this time, my money's on a crystal skull. Finally, our executive producer is Fred Greenhouge, who lets his freak flag fly. It's a 30-foot flag hanging off the stern of his pirate podcast yacht. And it says, resist. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.